we look at growth through the customer lens. And so whenever I talk to the team about, hey, how can we grow? It's not through like getting some random viral growth hack that, that no one else has thought of. It's actually more about, hey, what did you hear from customers that they have pain points on that no one has built anything for or that we can be well positioned to provide that value? Welcome to the Vitalize Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the Director of Marketing at Vitalize Venture Capital. On today's episode, we have Ted Blosser, co-founder and CEO of WorkRamp, the all-in-one learning platform to train your customers, partners, and employees, and a company that's raised more than $27 million of venture capital from the likes of Sousa Ventures, Initialized Capital, Slack Fund, and more. Let's dive in. Ted, welcome to the show. Justin, thanks for having me. Yes. I'm so excited to talk about WorkRamp because of what you inherently do as a learning platform and you know LMS. I want to know how this all got started though, because I want people to have that context as well, Ted. Yeah, for sure. So my co-founder Arsh and I used to work at Box together. So we got to see um, uh, kind of one of the first generation enterprise SaaS companies come up back in uh, 2011. And I worked there for about five years. And uh, when Arsh and I decided to go do a company we said, hey, there's kind of two criteria we want to look for. So we actually, we were, we're one of the startups that actually went to look for the opportunity. It wasn't like a aha moment or our parents <laughs> were professors and we just loved learning. It was more about actually looking at the landscape and seeing what the opportunity was. And for us, we had two big criteria. One was we wanted to either, uh, sorry, we wanted to do two things. We wanted to build an amazing company, a place where we could actually, what we call skip into work, um, or two, uh, what we also want to do was look for a gigantic market in a gigantic TAM that was relatively undisrupted. And that was really where we came and stumbled onto the learning market. It had a bunch of stodgy competitors. The TAM is almost infinite. Everyone needs to train in some capacity um, for every single job that they do. And then, uh, and then we were very deliberate saying, hey, let's go build an awesome culture, awesome company. And that was kind of the origin story. So we found the two big ingredients that we're looking for in this market. And we started WorkRamp, had a few kind of failed domains before <laughs> we landed on WorkRamp.com. Uh, but happy we found that one and uh, uh, everything was off to the races from there. Okay. Knowing that, I have to ask, what was the first iteration? And we're going to want to talk through the evolution a little bit of WorkRamp, but that was obviously 2015, roughly. What was the first you know iteration, your MVP of that, that you kind of came to market with? I'm curious about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's interesting, the kind of product market fit journey was was definitely as advertised by uh, Paul Graham. And so uh, Paul Graham, the founder of YC, um, he talks a lot about the kind of startup trough of disillusionment. And so that's really around like, hey, how do you start uh, a startup and you usually get a TechCrunch article, but then you kind of drop off a cliff, you get funding and then you drop off a cliff for a couple of years and you come back. And for us, our iterations, were interesting in the beginning. We were always kind of on target. I remember a recent um, uh, uh, company event. I actually went and found a screenshot from uh, my wall, my home office, that said, hey, what our vision was. And it's roughly the same vision from the start, but the journey there was really hard. So when we started, we were building training software in those early iterations. The thing that we kind of screwed up on was we didn't know who we were building the software for. And so that was the hardest part for us. So in the early days, the, the good thing was there's a lot of tech in our, in our space, a lot of software features in our category. 
And so the good thing was we're building a lot of stuff that we now use today, but we just didn't know how to bring that to market and to who to bring that to. So for example, in the early days, uh, one afternoon, I'd be selling to a nursing home in New Hampshire, a biking uh, tourist company in Ecuador, all the way to a high-tech sales team here in San Francisco. <laughs> so we were just all over the place, all over the place, all over the map with our features and what we were building. But then over time, we really got what I even call go-to-market fit, and our product came alongside that. And now that's kind of what landed us into uh, the current iteration of WorkRamp which is essentially an all-in-one uh, uh, new generation learning management system. Yeah, let's talk a little more about that now, the current version of what you guys offer to people. So with that learning management system, I know you offer to not only like the employers, but also like imagine customers and stuff for that as well. Like, Timothy, what yes. an overview of what you guys are doing today? Yeah, for sure. Great question. Um, so I'll take one step back real quick about the macro trends and I'll, and I'll jump into what we're doing today. So Macro trends we see on the market. One is every company really, because of COVID, uh, accelerated their digital transformation needs. So they all changed their business models, all start hiring different types of people. Everyone um, was essentially upended by, by COVID, right? Um, two is because of that digital transformation, huge talent crunch, hiring is almost impossible. Um, retaining people is very hard, as you, as you know, probably the great resignation. Right. Um, uh, and then three is really having making sure companies, every company now has to have a remote work strategy. Doesn't mean you have to be fully remote, but it means you have to have a strategy around remote work. And so the confluence of those three things uh, parlay into what we're doing on the market, which is essentially an all in one learning platform. And so we saw a world over the next decade where companies don't want to have five, seven different and disparate learning systems, one for their customers, one for their partners, one for HR, one for your sales and go-to-market team. A CFO would say, hey, I don't even know what this category is. Why am I <laughs> going to spend on four to five of these systems in my environment? And so what we do is we build a fundamental learning layer for companies. We call it the all-in-one LMS. And we allow people to create uh, uh, essentially uh, uh, centers of learning excellence. And they, those centers allow basically learning to be pervasive within the company, everyone to share content with each other, everyone to be able uh, to push that learning culture, and then being able to see all the data and all the impact in one place. And so that's what we built today is a basically a multi-pronged platform to serve these all-in-one learning needs. With that and all of the different, you know, kind of use cases I imagine that companies can use with this. And there's some massive companies using WorkRamp out there. You can look on the website. There's a bunch of them. But what are you seeing as kind of those top use cases that companies are finding the most value from, ones they're kind of focusing on? I'm curious on some of that side of things too. Yeah. When, kind of back to that um, product market fit question or, or discussion earlier is um, something we learned in YC was talking about, hey, you have to make sure you build something people want. That's kind of the mantra of YC. I don't know if, you, if you've seen those t-shirts. I have a t-shirt upstairs <laughs> yeah. uh, with, with that. So make something people want. And one thing we realized is you have to follow the trajectory of a company to know what a company wants in each stage of its growth. And that's actually how we sell and how we built our product. So I'll give you a great example. So when a company gets to roughly about 75, 100 people, the thing they care the most about from a training perspective is actually sales and go to market. They say, hey, look, we have to make money. We need to make sure these people are trained well. That's yep. usually the first place you put money into. And so you say, hey, I'm going to put money into my go to market teams. I need to make them efficient. 
is that's usually a great entry point for so, uh, software providers like us. So we help onboard, train, certify, make sure their go-to-market go teams are very effective. Then you think about your next phase as, of how a company evolves is, hey, now I've sold stuff and now I have customers, maybe even some partners, and I have to make them successful. Usually the employee size is, let's call it 200, 250 people. The company say, hey, how do I onboard our customers more effectively? How do I educate them on our services? And that's really when you get into customer partner education. And so we have a product there that serves that. And then as a company evolves, they have hey, sales down, they have their customers down. Then it comes down to them building essentially what Reed Hoffman calls kind of a tribe and village. I think it, and it uh, a village and then a tribe and that goes into basically a city. And over time, when you get to 500, 750 people, you start really caring about talent retention, uh, overall skills training, promotions. And so that's really when HR takes over. And so that's kind of the third big audience is, hey, the HR, the talent teams, how do you use learning as an uh, extremely effective weapon to be able to retain talent and attract talent uh, and make sure that talent is very successful? And that's really where we come in uh, with our platform on the HR and talent side. So those are the three big audiences really tracking the evolution of the company. But we learned that kind of the, through our own evolution we kind of watched how companies evolved and they kept asking us as they grew for more and more. And that's what we, we really built along uh, side. With that too, I mean, you mentioned kind of earlier on how you first coming to market, you know, looking at a lot of different markets weren't necessarily the right fit. But now as you kind of have a more of a feel for it, how do you look at the differences or what differences do you see in terms of geographies and different types of, you know, obviously there's companies the same size, but it could be cultural differences. Like anything on that you're seeing from a, a training, learning side of things too? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so it's interesting. As, as I kind of talked about the top of the call, when we chose the market, what's really cool is everybody needs to train. It could be your Uber yeah. driver, a chef in the kitchen to an engineer at General Electric. Everyone everyone needs to train. And I I think everyone has started to realize that that's, a, that's one of the highest leverage points, points you can do uh, for your team. And I think for us, really what we had to focus on is the TAM is so big, but we want to look for a little bit more uniformity of what was repeatable to start. So I'll give you a great example. So we, we have a lot of business here in North America. Um, we're starting to see a lot of growth in Europe and Australia, but we aren't jumping into those territories right away just because we see traction. We want to make sure our product is really nailed down for its core use cases before we kind of jump, uh, and you could jump prematurely into those markets. And so, and that's the same thing that applies to verticals too, right? You wanna look at spaces to start where the need is the strongest, and that's usually the knowledge worker side of the house. So think of the knowledge workers who um, uh, need to have very highly uh, honed skills to do their jobs effectively. And so for us, this is more of a us thing. Um, for the startup environment, it's really about hey, how do you do something very, very well before kind of um, spreading your tentacles into other areas? And so we've, we've kind of just focused and we've seen that, hey, with focus, we will see the most growth and then over time get into those other markets. So back to your original question is, I actually think that demand is everywhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> and there's actually not a huge differentiation, especially because our market is so big, but it's really about the company addressing that demand us 
making sure we focus and grow into that demand correctly? And so that's a great question overall. Though. I haven't been asked that uh, recently, but that's kind of <laughs> how we're viewing the world is, hey, perfect your craft and then spread out once you're actually truly ready to scale. Going from 2015, you, you launch and you have this you know, idea, you're finding this market, you know, it's a massive TAM, as you mentioned, and you know, a lot of different ways to go about that. But what has fueled your growth in the last six years? I mean, you recently raised uh, Series yeah. B, I saw, you know, raised 20 something million dollars. Like what has fueled the growth? Why has WorkRamp been able to make it? Because there has been some other companies out there, other options, you know, people had for it. I know you mentioned a few, like kind of, it was all kind of disparate a little bit, but what do you think helped to fuel that growth over the last, you know, five or six years? Yeah, for sure. It's it's really funny. So our growth really kicked into high gear in 2018. And so before that, I like to, I like to say we're actually only three years old, but we're <laughs> technically six years old. Before that, I, I even had this presentation internally. It's called the Wandering the Desert Years. And we, we talked a little about that, but it's like we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> and so there wasn't much growth. I, I'll, I'll admit that there wasn't much growth in those yeah. early years. But 2018 and on, that was really when we saw the hyper growth. And I think we made a really good bet that year to go with a platform-based approach um, and because we were one of the few providers that bet that the market would consolidate rather than bifurcate into many different learning applications. And so there's actually the trend at that time, and, and Peter Thiel always talks about, I was like, hey, you actually need to go against the common uh, trends to actually be successful. The trend in that 2010 uh, through 2020 period was actually to go point of, um, uh, kind of let's call it best of breed solutions, go niche, go very uh, specialized. And everyone was kind of doing that in the learning category. We said, you know what? I don't think that's going to be what the future is like. We think this is going to consolidate to a platform because all the benefits of the platform are, we, um, are shared content, shared resources, shared people, just made a ton of sense, uh, shared costs. And so for us, that was what propelled our growth. And we had to have our product strategy match that. And so in that 2018 time period, that was when we invested heavily in R&D, uh, for example, to build our second major product, which is our customer and partner training product. So we had an internal product we started with, and then we spent a ton of time on R&D building a best-in-class external and um, uh, customer-facing product. And then we also then added what we call the marketplace recently as well. So that clients can pull content or templates off the shelf as well to uh, basically integrate into their environment. And so um, uh, back to your original question, that was the big bet that we made. And it's really starting to pay off now because that is where we believe the world is heading. Um, and that's what has fueled, fueled our growth is making that decision about three years ahead of time to really feel like growth today. We, we need we need to unpack that. We can't just let that slide. So, okay, because the thing is, like, we, we hear this, you know, startup founders hear this going against the grain. Same with investors. We hear, you know, you're not going to be, if you're going the same as everyone else, you're not going to have those big, those big upsides, those big bets. Like, you have to be contrarian in some ways. But going from that decision then in 2017, there's like 2018 made the switch. But, like, what was it about your team or what you saw or talking to, you know, other people in the market, your customers were saying, investors were telling you anything about that that, like, helped form and guide the decision to give you enough of a, enough confidence to then go against the grain in 2018. Yeah, it's almost it was almost out of necessity. I'll give you I'll give you a really good example. So in in 2018 every investor was flocking towards um, sales enablement technology. And so it, it's still kind of happening today. So 
and and every investor we talked to would say, "Hey, go go after this market. Sales sales technology, um, it's it's hot." And and you've seen all this money dumped into that category. You've seen the likes of High Spot, Seismic, uh, Showpad. Um, uh, you have uh, up and coming providers like People AI. But anyways, just a ton of money flocking there. And when we looked at that, we said, "Look." Can we even keep up with that? Even even if I did my best job fundraising, could you keep up with those other 10 founders that are three years ahead of you, right? And so the answer, when you look at it that way, is like, hey, the trend is heading that way, but you probably can't even catch up to that. So why go with the same strategy that everyone else is going with? And so then we said, all right, if we're not going to go with that strategy, where is their opportunity? Where is the money not going yet? Uh, and so, that, so we were actually almost in a follow the money approach and we said, you know what? Money is not going into, VC money is not going into kind of traditional learning software or end-to-end -end learning software. And then the insight we had on the market is that you can actually build that software good enough that you can actually still satisfy the sales use cases. You could still satisfy the CS use cases as a essentially a module or a key part of that all-in-one platform. And so... What we did was we went, we did not follow the money. We went where the money was not going. And then we said, hey, then what's our product insight that can still help us with that growth? And so the combination of those two things led us into this all-in-one vision that still has a strong sales enablement piece, but also does all these other things um, for a company on the learning side. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that because I think it is hard for founders to take that leap when, you know, it's, they don't know. No one, no one knows what's going to work, actually. Uh, you have an idea. Yes. You have an educated guess based on data you see, obviously talking to people and having that. But you have to predict the future in some ways and hope that you're right. So then build it to yeah. make sure you are right. And, and going back to the piece, too, and the content, you mentioned you know, some, some templates and things you make for people as well to kind of help them along the way with that. Talk, talk to me more about the, even like the, the micro content versus a little bit longer trainings, like how that goes with companies, what you're finding works on, on that side of things. I'd be curious to know more. Yeah, I think we're seeing a big trend in, um, and it's actually just following a lot of social trends. I don't know if you're a TikTok user yourself. <laughs> we're thinking um, about it. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll, keep, we'll keep that off the record. Yes. But, um, but uh, what you'll see is we, we have so many consumers, what we call learners, that are uh, millennials that that like to have very short uh, attention spans when they're getting things outside of their day job, like uh, trainings, and uh, we we're following that trend. We we've essentially built almost a Google Docs like interface in our environment that says, "Hey, you don't need to be an instructional designer. You don't need to have ten years of classic learning training. You could pull any what we call subject matter expert or SME." out of the field or out of your environment and have them just come create content uh, in the matter of 30 minutes that's bite-sized, ready to go, film a short video, and you could deploy that out to a workforce of thousands of employees. And so the trend we're seeing there is moving more bite-sized, moving more consumer-esque in your training. Gone are the days of kind of this boring sexual harassment or compliance training you're used to taking where you just have to sit in front of your computer for two hours to hit those mandatory requirements. Yeah. Uh, the learners today want that very um, high gratification, short content. And we build the tools um, and the templates to allow customers to rapidly deploy that. And so that's one of our secret sauces is that we tell customers, hey, we're gonna make this content engaging. You're gonna look awesome as a trainer. And you're going to change the perception of learning within your organizations using uh, software like WorkRamp. So 
but again, that's driven by a lot of the consumer needs. And that's what we saw at Box was uh, when I was there in the early days is, hey, a lot of these consumer needs will proliferate your enterprise needs. So you might as well get ahead of it. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because that's actually a big reason why I shifted from like an hour episode to half hour episodes of the podcast. It's a shorter training, more jam-packed than that. Also chopping content up into even shorter content for social. We think about that all the time. Each video ends up being like at least like three to five different clips for that yes. exact reason. People can learn from that. And even in our even in our Vitalized Angels community, with how we think about the education piece of that for helping people become angel investors, we had that same type of feedback around like, you know, we'd love to see some bite-sized things around this and everything. And so it's like, I think that's where it's heading for sure. Um, totally. You can you can see obviously where people have intention span for really good long long form content. Obviously, Joe Rogan, his podcast is three hours, you know. So Tim Ferriss, same thing. But that's difficult to pull off. And for most use cases, I imagine having a shorter format definitely for training and everything is going to be better, um, especially in some more boring subjects potentially as well. Yeah, and we were we were talking about uh, Harry Stebbings just briefly. And yeah. it's, it's- like think about it. his podcast was named 20 minute VC and that's what made it successful is you knew you could tune in on a quick <laughs> 20 minute drive up yep. to the city and get a quick uh, soundbite. Right. And so yep. um, being very explicit about um, that length, you're spot on um, with that trend. We're trying to do the same thing in our software. I'm curious to, I didn't, I didn't see this from research. I don't know how I didn't look maybe too, in depth enough, but like from the Dropbox days you have now, obviously looking at companies now, do you are you an angel investing as well in the companies? Uh, no, no, I'm not. I, you know, I spend my time doing two things. Family, uh, just because we had our third kid, um, and then uh, work. And you know, I try to squeeze in some exercise in between that too. And so yeah. I, I do not spend any time angel investing. We'd love to in the future too. But right now, I'm trying to keep my attention on the on my two, two, uh, two babies there, which is yeah. my family and then uh, running a startup. Oh, absolutely. And I, was, I remember just talking to uh, Leo Polovitz at Suicide Ventures and he was like, you know, he's definitely okay with founders doing angel investing as well. And I'm always like, that's gotta be so hard to even figure out doing both uh, around that. So I had, I had to ask, I didn't see anything. So I wasn't sure for, uh, on that, but like, I know for even talking to um, uh, a number of people who have, uh, are in companies that work with a lot of different other companies, any B2B company, they get access to seeing a lot of different companies and how they're yep. growing and how they're changing. So it's an opportunity to invest in that side of things. So I was curious about that. But uh, as we kind of wrap things up with here, like, what is kind of the the next step where you're taking work ramp? I'm really curious. You know, I'm I'm really inspired recently by the, maybe not in the last last week or so, but the, the, the success of SaaS companies, you've seen some of the Companies that we've been growing up with, like Amplitude, GitLab, uh, WalkMe, all these companies going public this year. And it gives you a lot of confidence for, for especially companies like us. Hey, uh, those aren't just kind of pipe dreams anymore. You're on the path to becoming a long-term 50-year-plus type company. Uh, if you really just kind of stay the course and you don't, and you don't mess this up and you keep, keep serving your customers well. And so for us, long-term, we talk about this internally. We're, bu- we'll, we're building an enduring company, category-defining company. And we want to continue doing things like raising venture capital, serving our customers, building more products to make this a long-sustaining company. And so the companies I admire right now that we want to shoot for are the companies like Okta, like DocuSign, who have become category owners, who have built uh, essentially platforms with multiple products on them who have great COs at their helm, great employees working for them. And so that's that's where we want to shoot for. We're in the early stages of that, uh, but we want to continue shooting for 
um, uh, uh, being basically a, a cloud-defining company um, over the long term. And so uh, we're really excited about that vision uh, right now. We're, we're diligently working every day to, <laughs> to make sure we achieve that vision. Real, real quick on that, which maybe not the quickest answer, but I'm curious with that too. Like, What is the biggest challenge or the biggest challenges around to getting to that point. Because obviously you can see your own growth trajectory and where you're going and it looks like, you know, obviously you're continuing to grow, but for that, like, what do you have to do to be able to, to actually pull it off? That's a great question. Um, you know, I'll, I'll answer in two parts. One is, and in, in they actually relate to each other, to keep doing that, and, and you obviously work uh, for a venture, venture capital <laughs> firm, it does come down to growth. Uh, you have to make sure your growth is sustainable to get to that level of being a publicly funded company. And so growth is always top of mind. And and, and I adhere to not like the um, uh, irresponsible growth, like uh, just growing at all costs. Like you have to have, uh, especially in our market, you have to have very controlled, responsible growth, but you need to make sure those growth rates stay up uh, year over year, almost indefinitely, um, because the, that's how you become obviously a venture back company and public company. And, and the thing I, I always come back to is I see, what I see a lot on the market is growth at all costs or growth through growth hacks. And, and we look at growth through the customer lens. And so whenever I talk to the team about, hey, how can we grow? It's not through like, getting some random viral growth hack that, that no one else has thought of. It's actually more about, hey, what did you hear from customers that they have pain points on that no one has built anything for or that we can be well positioned to provide that value? And the few times we've seen that extreme growth is when we listened very carefully and built something there and then executed very well. And so um, back, to, back to your original question, it's all about growth and then growth based off the customer needs and insights that only you as a company get access to because you're serving those customers. And so we're constantly looking for what are those next big growth engines, but really based off of what are customers telling us that they need and then building around those. And so that's what we're, we're doing day to day. It's nothing super fancy, uh, but again, back to kind of make, make something people want, it kind of comes down to that. It's, we're listening to what customers want and then looking for growth around those, um, those solutions. Ted, I know we're out of time. Where's the best place for people to connect with you and also learn more about WorkRamp? Yeah, for sure. Obviously, our website, WorkRamp.com. You can always email me at any time, Ted at WorkRamp.com. Super simple there. Awesome. Ted, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thanks, Justin. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about us, head on over to Vitalize.vc. You can also follow us on Twitter at VitalizeVC. Or you can follow me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.